Hello, Hyrule! Welcome back to the premiere Legend of Zelda Travelogue podcast. We are your tour guides. My name is Pete. And my name's Chris. Hey, Chris, you notice the seasons are changing right now. Yeah, they are. We spent the weekend last weekend gardening and, and putting plants out in front of the house. Yeah, I saw that. That looked really nice. Thank you. But along with winter, though, uh, so goes my voice. <laughs> Oh, yeah. <laughs> I'm sure people noticed in the last one, at least, where uh, I'm getting a little more uh, creaky and scratchy as I go. It's just that time of the year where collectively, as a species, our bodies completely turn against us. Well, me in particular, though, Chris, I, I, I have just abysmal spring allergies. Small apology at the top here. <laughs> mm. I mean, you usually do a pretty good job at editing a lot of that stuff out. If we just didn't have to, though, is the thing, you know? We should have a 10-minute montage in the middle of the Rupert episode this season of just our weird oh. throat-clearing sounds. That'll be, that'll be just <laughs> perfect. First thing to put up there. So before we jump in, do you want to let people know what we were doing last time? Yeah, I have a quick recap here of our last episode. So last episode, we continued our quest to reforge the Picori Blade as we scaled the perilous Mount Crenel, breaking down rock walls, meeting fairies, and barging in on the local hermits. After reaching a mine run by Malari and the Seven Minish, we handed off our broken blade to the blacksmith and made our way over to obtain the next element needed in our quest in the nearby Cave of Flames. Cave of Flames. Cave of Flames. <laughs> Cave of Flames, won't you? There's a, uh, if you look at this place from the outside, before we even really jump in, because you have to walk up some steps up to this spot before you even go in, and it is, like, not inviting, at the very least. No. It is menacing. I was actually looking at this earlier today. It looks like the head of a demon. <laughs> Kinda, yeah. I was thinking, like, a huge evil meteor landed at the top of this mountain. Yeah. But it, it's funny because on the inside, it's very welcoming and like kind of, I mean, not at all mostly welcoming. I think it is welcoming. In what regard is it welcoming? It's fun. <laughs> it's not It's not the most actively hostile dungeon that we get into in this game or in the previous game we spent a season talking about. I would about. say this is possibly the most hostile terrain we've had in a dungeon in a while. I'm excited to talk about it then. Yeah, it, it's pretty good. I don't know if I would be, if I would score it incredibly high on my list of dungeons, which we'll have to do at some point. Yeah, that seems like something we should get around to at some point. Maybe like when we get much further in, we like do a list of our top, I don't know, top 10 across multiple games you know what i think would be good a good time to start doing that like because after ocarina we're gonna have to choose which timeline we're jumping into so possibly after we finish one timeline we'll start to rank them oh yeah that's not a bad idea rank them per timeline per timeline oh i meant more like we would have enough to to have a ranked list once we finish one sure sure okay well we'll cross that bridge when we get there but for now do you want to start talking about what's inside this big scorching hot demon head of a dungeon uh first things first i have to note this is a volcano right this is a volcano i it's it's hard to say there are so many parallels between this and death mountain but it's not death mountain as we discussed in the last episode not, yeah not at all first off there's the geographical location of death mountain or eldon if those are the same volcano mm -hmm. i'm assuming right now that death mountain isn't on the map right now like <laughs> The Hylians landed on Hyrule and just decided, we're not going to go anywhere near that right now. Actually, I didn't think about that. Like, where is Elden Volcano on a map of the ground as opposed to where is Mount Krennel? Well, here's the thing. When you get to Krennel, uh, it's just like the Krennel Highlands in Breath of the Wild, right? There's no volcano there. And it is somewhere far away from Death Mountain. Wait, I didn't know about that. Is there a Krennel Highlands in Breath of the Wild? I'm pretty sure. I don't know if it's called Highlands. It's like Krennel Flat. 
flats or something. Oh, okay. I was going to say, if they merged, like, I love the idea of Trilby Highlands and Cre- Mount Crenel merging and kind of becoming a shared space over time. I could be wrong. I think Trilby Highlands is there too. What? I could be wrong about that. Oh, <laughs> man. It's a good thing we don't have a uh, podcast about The Legend of Zelda where we say that we spend a lot of time doing research to get facts right. I, well, to be fair, I don't I don't really claim to do a lot of research here. Oh, okay. Anyway, yeah, there are going to be similarities, and I'll try to point them out as we go along in this episode, but... There's some Goron symbology used throughout this. Really? Mm -hmm. Towards the end of this episode. Yeah, that kind of blew my mind. And just the, uh, you know, you always see the minecarts in Goron mines, right? Uh, Like the Death Mountain, like the Elden Volcano. I'm trying to remember. Well, there's no minecarts in Elden Volcano. Oh, wait. No, no, no. I'm thinking of Lanayru, right? Lanayru had the minecarts. Yeah. Okay. So scratch that idea. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> I was associating it. Yeah, I was overly associated. Well, here's the thing. Lanayru in Skyward Sword was off to the west, more southwest. But then you get like just a little bit north of that and you land here at Mount Crenel. And that kind of maps out for certain spots. But like if you consider what I had mentioned a minute ago, where like the Minish Cap map is more of like a zoomed in, closed off version of that map. Yeah. Like we don't see all of Hyrule here. It's far more condensed. Yeah. Yeah, that's an interesting point. In any case, you started off like what the interior of this place is. This place has been mined out. Yeah. Or at least it was mined out and then abandoned. Yeah. How how long ago is not clear, but, you know, I mean, when you look around at what's going on in here, you can't really blame people. It's just like full of lava and monsters. But more so than a lot of dungeons in these games, this one seems to have had a clear purpose. Oh, for sure. Yeah. Sometimes like they kind of just exist and you're like, I'm sure someone used to pray here or something. It's called a shrine. They're going to, I mean, you're doing shrine stuff. But this one one very much had a series of rails for people to kind of get around and you know mine different areas and bring resources around at a speed that would break the neck of a 10 year old child i think yes it almost (laughs) does in this instance And like you said, there are hints that this might very well be a volcano. I mean, we have Uh, massive pits of lava in some areas. The whole dungeon has something of a red color scheme or a red tint. Well, it's hard to say, though, because like after this dungeon, parts of the lava go away. And also the lava is only in this dungeon. That's true. Like if this was a proper volcano, you'd think there'd be like, you know, lava flows the entire way down. Yeah, no, you don't see it anywhere else but here. I don't know. It's right in. There's got to be someone out there who's thought about this more than we have. I have to assume there's people who know more about plate tectonics than I do. But you know what we do know a lot about? Enemies. Yeah, no, we have another like hefty amount of monsters in here. Thankfully, we already addressed a few of them. Yes, we've already addressed a few. But this is, make no mistake, the first instance of this game letting its freak flag show. I think I know what you're referring to. Oh, yeah. There's some good stuff in here. So top of the list, what's your number one enemy that you have marked down? Number one meaning my favorite or number one meaning like just the first I wrote down? Just the first that's on the list. First on my list, we got Bob Alms from the Mario series. Just 100% the Bob Alms. Except it's not, Chris. Uh-oh. Only in the West are they called bob And that's fair that they did that. They look and behave almost exactly like bob from Mario. But in Japan and in other countries, they're just referred to as some variation of bomb soldier. Really? Yeah. We're the only people who called it that. See, and you claim that you don't do research for these episodes. That's true. I, com- <laughs> I completely contradict myself. <laughs> Immediately. That's awesome. Okay, that's good to know. Yeah. Okay, so what are these guys? These are bob from Mario. They're little bombs with little red eyes. They got feet. You hit them, they start running around chaotically. Their red eyes start flashing, mm-hmm. and within a matter of seconds, they will blow up. Right. This is the first instance of them showing up. If you read the figurine for these guys appears in dungeons they often gather in groups in narrow areas once activated they go a little crazy take them out with arrows but we don't get arrows until like the next area i mean we also don't have figurines for a little bit 
Fair point. <laughs> we shouldn't know about these yet. That's true. Yeah, no, they they function more or less like a Mario enemy. The red eyes are new, though, which makes me wonder, like, I mean, of course, it's just like a reference or something. There doesn't have to be an actual in-world explanation to why Mario Bobums are in this place. There doesn't have to be. But my brain goes there. Listen, this isn't the only game where this happens. At this point, it might be fair game to say that the Mario games and the Zelda games are in the same universe. And as such, that might mean that we have to cover every Mario game for no. Hyrule eventually. <laughs> oh, we're going to become those people that like obsess over a Mario game timeline. <laughs> oh. <laughs> I already think about how I've spent too much time thinking about this timeline. So next up, I don't know. Actually, you know what? I don't know if these count as enemies, but they do show up. They do have a trophy and they do get listed as like the dangers here. Okay. Mm hmm. They're just called traps. Yeah. They're just called traps. Let's talk about traps and chasers all at once, because they're all kind of the same thing. Are chasers listed as a different thing? Because they're basically the same thing. Exactly. So both of these are just these little circular items that are on the floor. Traps just go back and forth. And if you walk in their path, mm -hmm. they hit you for some small amount of damage. Chasers are Beyblades. Are Beyblades. <laughs> And they're static until they see you, and then they chase after you in a single cardinal direction. Mm -hmm. Wherever they stop, if they see you again from that point, they'll chase you from that point. So yeah. instead of moving from point A to point B back to point A, they have more of a free pathing. Seeker destroyers. Mm -hmm. Now, here's the thing. These things are kind of cool, actually. Like, they, they actually pose a little bit of a challenge, right? Sure. The one you find you find two of them in this dungeon uh, in the same room. These are the only ones in the entire game. Oh, really? That's what I found when I was looking into this. I didn't think about that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That makes sense. So it's in a uh, maze when you're smaller, right? So your running ability is a bit slower, I well, believe. Well, they don't see you when you're small, actually. Oh, okay. So sure. they're easier to avoid. It's when you're normal size that they'll chase you down. Okay, fair enough. It's like when you're trying to like activate an automatic door when you're a little kid. These things kind of have the vibe of back when we were talking about the Lanayru mining facility, how this is an abandoned area, but it seems to have some remnants of a security system. Yeah, I've been wondering about that. Like, did did the miners who left this place leave these things here? I don't know, because especially when talking about the traps, there are some rooms in this dungeon where the traps are placed right by a minish hole, almost like a mouse trap. Oh, like a roach motel. A roach motel. What a grim... <laughs> <laughs> That's what they're called. Okay. Yeah, like a roach motel. I'll take your word on that one. Don't use sarcastic fingers at me. <laughs> But it's just, it feels like, again, these aren't sentient beings. These are mechanical things, which means that they were placed there, which means that there's some intention to their locations, which I think is an interesting thing to think about mm -hmm. when we're talking about enemies. That's the thing, though. If they were left here or if they were just brought in with the monsters, you know what I mean? Yeah, absolutely. And while we're on the subject of traps, my next enemy on my list of enemies are these green rupee likes. Ooh, yeah. You know, until I started writing down the notes for this, I had forgotten that there's no like-likes in this game. Okay. I had like a moment when taking notes where I convinced myself that I was losing it a little bit. When is it a like-like and when is it a like? What? What? <laughs> When is it a like and when is it a like-like? Because these are likes, but in like the N64 <laughs> games, they're like-likes. Well, uh, I mean, if I'm following your question right, uh, a like, like a rupee like, mm -hmm. is something, it's got like a little anglerfish dangle bobber that like dangles a treat to, to trick you to come near it. Right. And a like like doesn't have that, it just goes after you. Okay. Okay, that makes sense. That <laughs> delineates. But like what I'm what I was wondering is why not just name it a like? Or why not just name them both like likes? Hmm. Unless okay, okay, okay. So you got like likes. That's the initial form that has nothing on it. Then you got rupee likes that you like here, which are a subspecies of like likes, you know? So when a like like falls in love with a rupee. No. 
<laughs> Not remotely. Oh, uh, okay. Something interesting about Ruby likes, by the way, which I should uh, say off the top, Ruby likes tend to carry on, again, like a little anglerfish bobber, a rupee of a different color or such, different values. Mm-hmm. They hide underground uh, along with other rupees, hoping that, you know, you'll just walk up and grab them. If you use the gust jar to suck up the rupees, the one they are holding onto will not budge. That's how you know they're there. That's a great idea. But beyond that, when you kill them, you get the rupee that was there. So if you see a green rupee like like, you'll get a green rupee when you kill it. Mm-hmm. If you let it grab onto you, though, it'll start to nom away at your rupees because that's what they like. Like, And then you bust free and kill it. Then the rupee they drop will be one value up from the one they were holding. Oh, really? Just yeah. across the board? I always figured you get your rupees back. I didn't really think too much about it. Not exactly. Like, it's actually, if you stay in one long enough, you will take a loss of rupees. But like, if, for example, if you find a red rupee-like, then let it grab you for a sec to grab one rupee from you and bust out and kill it, you'll get a big green rupee, which is worth 50. Pro strats. Yeah. That's good to know. That's good stuff. Wow. So these are the Legend of Zelda version of Mimics, right? I get... You know what? 100%. Yeah, I guess That's so. That's what they are. It's more like they are dangling stuff you like rather than turning into the thing you like. But I, I think I'm picking up what you're putting down. Yeah. You see something that is valuable to you. You go to get it and something bites your head. It's a mimic. Do like likes bite you? I've been wondering about that because they just seem like goopy. It's kind of like a snake thing, right? It's like if a slug had a baby with a koozie, you know, where it's just like a big jelly tube that grabs onto you. I don't remember seeing teeth. Okay. I just always pictured it like a snake. Because it looks like a snake, kind of, in in this game especially. I guess. It's like a it's like a gross accordion snake. Because they got like, they bend and fold. Yeah, yeah. It's a gross accordion snake. I think we solved it. <laughs> All right. Next enemy on the list. What do you got? Oh, we're going to different orders now. But I'm just going to like just say real quick, we got choo-choos. We got two flavors of choo-choo. We got red and we got spiny. Talked about both these bad boys in the last episode. We did. I do want to re- revisit something about that real quick, though. The flavor of choo-choos, okay? Don't roll your eyes at me. We've talked, I feel like we've talked (laughs) in great extent about the flavor of choo-choos, considering this is season two of the show. Here's the thing. We we, kind of brushed over it last time for this season, though. Like, they look different. They have slightly different colors. I I just have a question, which is like, do you think that the Punching Clown variety of choo-choo tastes better or worse than the Skyward Sword counterparts? Um... That's actually an interesting question. Because they look like more bright colored. Does that mean poison or does that mean cleaner? To me, they look less juicy. <laughs> they look more They look more like gamey. Really? The Skyward Sword ones, it looks like if you just take a bite, you're getting just some gusher stuff into your mouth. Yeah. Right? This one, it's like, oh, you got to kind of gnaw for a second. See, I'm mostly on board because like, I, I feel like, yeah, Skyward Sword, they're wetter, grosser even. Like, they, like it's a bad the texture's a bad time but like you see these choo-choos like the wind waker style and i feel like it's a jello mold right i just see jello i guess so i think i've got to really look at it in wind waker as opposed to on this tiny little screen yeah you know what seeing in 3d is probably a whole other thing absolutely i think the work you know we're gonna i'm not gonna get there for a while so i'm just gonna say it now i feel like the ones that would taste the worst would probably be the ones from majora's mask oh i don't even i can't even recollect that specific type of choo-choo in my brain right now because i played so many others since the last time i played that they're they're just these terrible red and green like clown face things i don't like them right 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 okay (laughs) all right well you know what else i don't like Rollabites. You don't like rollabites. They're just like uh, pill bugs. Yeah, they're like huge armored pill bugs. Yeah, it's boring. Bo- okay, well, that's something. I mean, what? What's up? What's up, Capcom? I'm coming. <laughs> Knives out. Rollabites, kind of a boring design, all things considered. Now, what's? It's kind of. I mean, when you think about it, though, aren't the lines blurring? What do you mean? Like we've got giant bugs now, no matter what size we are. 
I guess. And I know we have praised some of the other giant bugs and like gushed over how cool it is to see them big. But you also don't see Rollabites big. You only see them as small bugs. Yeah. And they're just a boring looking type of bug. They add no color to the palette of color in this game. Oh, you mean aesthetically? Aesthetically, yeah. That's 100% what I mean. No, uh, mechanically, they are fine. Yeah, yeah. Because, I mean, the way Rollabites work is that if you hit them or if you start to suck them up with the Gus jar, then they will roll up into a ball. And when they're rolled up in a ball, you can drop them into holes that are around you so that you can walk on top of them, almost like you're making a bridge. Mm-hmm. I think that's pretty cool. Yeah, it's cool. I mean, it's how you get to a few treasures throughout this dungeon. Uh, it's used in an interesting way, and it's fun with the Gus jar. So, hey, Gus jar is fun. You give me more reasons to bust that thing out, I'm not going to complain. Yeah, no. Personally, I enjoy making, like, down-the-court basketball shots with these things, trying to land them in a specific hole. <laughs> Absolutely. And then on the last potentially new—I don't know if we talked about this, actually thinking about it last episode. Okay. Spiked beetles. These are new to um these are new as of this dungeon, actually. Yes, that's what I thought. These are another one that's like, okay, this is not like a babam, mm-hmm. but like this is treading pretty close to Super Mario enemy design. I think there's literally a Mario enemy called a spiny. Yes, this is this is a spiny. Well, I'm not so sure about that, because last time is when we found the spiny beetle. The spiny beetles are the ones that uh pick up rocks and weeds and high under them right but meanwhile we got like their disgruntled cousin over here in this dungeon which is called the spiked beetle and they eh, what's a good analog here they look like uh, the blue koopa shell from mario kart a hundred percent that's exactly what this looks like so again this is why i'm saying like this is where this game lets its hair down in regard to enemy design a little bit this is what you consider letting your hair down yeah is when you just have (laughs) enemies from a different video game franchise Um, so something interesting about spiked beetles in this place is that, uh, they are basically impervious to most things you can do. You smack them with your sword, they just move away and they don't get hurt and they'll just keep coming after you. If you want to hurt them, you got to flip them over, which you can do with this dungeon's item, which is coming up soon. Mm -hmm. You can place a bomb strategically to knock them over. I don't think any space would do, but I haven't really used it that way. Imagine withstanding the blast of a bomb and it just knocks you over. I mean, most things would knock me over, so I'm not so sure about that. Would knock me over into the afterlife. It's more <laughs> like it. Also, you can hold your shield out and have them bounce off of it. and they. Go. Yeah, that's the weird one to me, because that might be like this game's most like theater of the mind feature (laughs) what is it exactly like where because they could move even like slowly into you and they will flip over entirely it's like a complete like link bullying them like this thing winding up and link just flipping it right over and it's like fallen on its back and its glasses fell off and it doesn't know it can't (laughs) see anything you dump their books yeah yeah totally what is what is the move though with the shield like is is it implied that like the momentum of them bouncing into you flips them oh i'm glad you asked it's actually the shield bash one of the best moves throughout the legend of zelda <laughs> franchise it's, it's, this is how they do it in 2d form they brought Darn it back it. because it's good actually and they did it in the in the pat in the past because this game came out first from a development standpoint oh interesting point i hadn't considered that yep uh last two enemies that are in this place you got keys you know them you love them they look like bats in this one shadow bats the other one is helmosaurs which we talked about just last episode they're good that delicious source of dino nuggets that's pretty much the gamut of enemies aside from the mini boss who is actually just eight of one of these enemies and the (laughs) boss hang on we'll hang on (laughs) okay we'll talk about it we'll talk about it We, we need to give a proper we have we have some pomp and circumstance that we do from mini bosses here okay we'll do it fine and now we're gonna talk about this dungeon's mini boss which is eight spiny choo choo and there that's it that's that's done so we needed uh so we could probably move on to uh the the hello what is it called the hyrule business highlight do we got one today uh actually pete now that you mentioned i gotta be honest I've been contacting our sponsor for this week's Hyrule Business Highlight. All right. And they haven't gotten back to me yet with the ad read. Um, You know what? I got to run to the bathroom. I'll check the Gmail one more time. Just Uh, give me a minute. I'll be back. We'll edit this uh, part out. Okay. Sure. Okay. Sure. All right. Just one minute. Hello. I'm ready. 
Uh, uh, hey, what? Okay, well, okay, what's going on here? Hello, Wheaton here for the Magazine Bread interview. I'm sorry, there's gotta be some confusion here. We're not a magazine. Hello, business highlights. I, <laughs> what? How did you join this Discord call? Try our brioche bread. Extra soft, doughy texture, brilliant golden color, filling and fulfilling rich taste. Chance to eat, Kinstone included. Ch chance to? Croissant connoisseur? Ours is made with smooth malt syrup and overpriced eggs from Hen House. Chance to eat, Kinstone included. Okay, that's definitely a health hazard. Not a bread guy? Try our pie. Creamy custard filling with seashell crumble on top. Chance to eat, Kinstone included. <laughs> there's, there's so much to unpack here. Wife Peta and I make Hyrule bread no one wanted. Few years ago, Kinstone starts showing up in bread. People couldn't get enough. Wait, wait a minute. Wheaton? And your wife's name is Peta? That's fun. Money, please. I... <laughs> wait, no, that's that's not how these sponsorships work. Goodbye. <sighs> hey, man, yeah. Uh, no luck on the ad read. I don't know. Maybe we just go an episode without it. We can just talk about the shop itself. <laughs> yeah, sure. <laughs> All right, so who are we talking about this week? Uh, Wheaton and Pita's Bakery. Is that is there a name, a proper name for this place, or is it like? Is it just the bread shop? I just have it down as Wheaton and Pita's Bread Shop. Real quick, is there a reason that you turned Wheaton into a, like a Neanderthal? <laughs> um, so it essentially, I'm afraid of doing any accent because I don't want to accidentally be offensive to anyone. Sure. So at at one point, I just wanted to do Solid Snake, but then as we started. <laughs> As we started, I just did oh. caveman. <laughs> okay. Uh, bakery. It's just the bakery. Okay. I mean, fair enough. If you didn't know from the huge basket of bread that's over their establishment. Yeah. There is, there's a bakery in Hyrule Town this time, which I think this is the first time and maybe the only time throughout the series that there's something like this. Possibly the only one. I mean, you might run into some places in Breath of the Wild that sell bread, maybe. I don't really remember. Mm -hmm. But like, yeah, this might be the only dedicated bakery, which is so fun for me personally. Yeah. I love little flavor stuff like this. I wish there was more stuff like this in games. I love it because, yeah, it's not like an essential thing for anything, right? Not it's just at kind all. of a completely optional store that just kind of gives an additional layer to the life that goes on in Hyrule Town. Like, you don't even get, like, a heart piece or anything, do you? No. I mean, you do get something. What do you What do you get? You get kinstone pieces. <laughs> oh, great. Okay. We don't have enough of those. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so that's, like, kind of the thing about the bakery is there are four different types of breads that you can buy. You can buy brioche, croissant, slice of pie, and slice of cake, which are all just, just real things. Uh-huh. But every time you uh, buy one of these, there is a percent chance that there's a kinstone hidden inside one of them. Right. The more expensive, the more likely it is. Which is like, why? I could not tell you. I could not tell you, Chris. So my inkling and what I was trying to have fun with a second ago was the idea that, you know, we know that Minish are scouring Hyrule Town. Sure. You know. They live upstairs. They live upstairs. They've got one of their best salesmen teaching people about Kinstone, right? Uh-huh. I feel like this is a Ratatouille situation where instead of cooking delicious meals, these little Minish are uh, placing Kinstone in the bread at night so that people <laughs> excitedly take the bread and are, you know, encouraged to trade Kinstone more frequently hmm. or go out and talk to their friends about all these Kinstone they're finding. Well, unless you are keeping the dough overnight, which I don't think bakeries do. Good point. <laughs> <laughs> then I suppose possibly they could be just dropping it into the oven or like when the people aren't looking, they mix it in the dough. Yeah. That doesn't sound like too much of a leap. That doesn't. It would be weird to like, you. if you put it in the dough, that means that that dough gets shaped at some point and they completely miss the kinstones. But yeah, hey. it, it'd have to be after the shaping. Sure. But I mean, you know, whatever. I think that's got to be probably the best theory we're going to get for why these things are in here. I mean, unless this husband and wife team are just dropping kinstone pieces into their stuff randomly, which I don't know why they would do that. So this is a husband and wife duo in here, Wheaton and Peta, which good name and conventions. Yeah, no, it works. A little bit on the nose. Worked well enough for Hunger Games. That's 
Did they do that in Hunger Games? Yeah, one of Katniss's boyfriends is named PETA. Oh, boy. But it's like P-E-E-T-A because they think you're dumb and don't notice those things, I guess. (laughs) All right. Well, I don't really have too much more on the bakery here. Uh, There is a note that after Vadi's taken over, there are some additional lines of dialogue about business going bad for the couple. And it's just like, read the room. Okay, there's a curse over Hyrule. Yeah, things are pretty bad for everyone right now. Yeah, I mean, the only real damage they could be doing is to your teeth. <laughs> yeah, I mean, maybe that's why they put the kinstones in there. Suddenly, there's almost a trading card aspect to buying their food. I guess. I mean, if I just had a stockpile of these things, which I just thought of this just now. If you have, like, a stockpile of kinstone pieces, why don't you just, like, fuse them yourself? I feel like you would just start, the, it would be that, no, it can't work that way. Why not? A kinstone fusion, a kinstone fusion, when you learn about kinstone fusions, it's very much a thing of, you can only fuse kinstones with someone who wants to fuse kinstones with you. There's, like, a participatory aspect to it. There's got to hmm. be two people who want to do it. Yeah, I guess it is kind of introduced that way, huh? Yeah. Otherwise, imagine just... Just one person with a bunch of kinstone just <laughs> willing things into existence like that that almost has the most villainous tinge to it out of anything does it though because it because the only thing they do is do something that makes both parties happy which kind of makes some of these fusions questionable when you get down to it but like sure because uh, there's definitely some stuff where it's like oh yeah i fused with this wall and then a goron comes to town i'm like that who what is happening here in this exchange <laughs> Yeah, or I fused with a kinstone and now my long lost brother has been freed from the dungeon (laughs) behind the waterfall. Or, what to your point in the previous episode, they're forced out of their solitude. Yeah, they're forced out of their solitude. Or, like, I think there's one later where, like, the ghost brother of a ghost girl finally ascends to the afterlife. Like, I don't know. It's such a strange sequence of things that you do. All right. Well, we're going to get more into Kinstones in a future episode. This isn't the Kinstone corner. (laughs) But do you have anything else about the bakery before we move on? The only other thing that I want to add is that you can go upstairs when you're minish-sized. You have to walk across the oven, which is a little funny because you have to avoid like little gouts of steam. Right. But uh, upstairs above the bakery is this little minish bistro that they built in the rafters of like little crumbs of bread and cheese. They got little tables. This is one of the best things that they do with the minish in Hyrule Town. I'm so glad you remembered to bring it up. It's so cute. I'm getting like, I know I'm repeating myself here on this during this season, but the, everything the minish do is just the cutest, most wholesome stuff and like the minish here in town similar to the ones that are in Malari's mind they have their own little look where they have like these knitted caps and like it's just it's very good it's a great idea it's great world building in this game and can you imagine in like a future 3d game if you explore a town early on and then you get a shrinking ability let's say like 50 hours into the game and you go back to that early town Mm -hmm. and there's just a whole second town in the above parts of the town that you thought you already knew like that idea is so exciting especially if you have just like one main hub and no other towns like stuff that makes it feel more lived in is the best thing for these games it's it's absolutely my favorite all right so thank you to the bakery for i guess considering sponsoring us even though we didn't end up getting anything thank uh, thank for bread money good (laughs) (laughs) all right so let's get back to the cave of flames after the mini boss quote unquote is when we get the dungeons item right yeah let's take even a step back though at first right so we enter the cave as remarks about how hot it is we shouldn't stand around wasting time one of the first rooms is like a bomb room and then the room right after it is the spiked beetle room yeah so it almost felt like a one-two punch of like oh mario enemies in these rooms right here <laughs> i really don't see mario enemies with the spiked beetles man i gotta oh, tell you i so do I so do. Um, but the big thing coming up is soon after that, we find a minecart. Oh, yeah. And Ezlo has a bit of dialogue. This must be what the humans who built this mine used to get around here. Maybe we should hop in. After all of that, you don't expect me to believe you're scared. There's nothing to be afraid of here. Come on, let's go. Listen, what is your problem, old man? <laughs> exactly. Like, what? A, he's, he's ready to turn on you at any given moment. He questions your motives and fortitude at every step, at least for the first couple dungeons. And he never 
never asks you how you're feeling about things. And he never calls anymore. <laughs> but we do jump in the minecart, and this thing goes. I mean, you hinted at it a second ago, but oh, yeah. these minecarts go like 100 miles per hour. We get Link screaming. Oh, he screams every two seconds. Like, <laughs> it, Is it like just when you go through a door, or is it every time he makes a turn? I think it's just a loop, if I remember correctly. He's screaming constantly. I have Link screams incessantly as the cart speeds into the next room. Link flies out of the cart and Ezlo has a line. Sweet jumping jellyfish, that was awful. <laughs> hey kid, what are you smiling about? I knew it was madness to risk our lives in that rickety human contraption. So that feels, that makes me feel a little bit better about doing that to Link. He likes it. It's like a roller coaster. Yeah, I mean, at the end of it, he liked it. Yeah, it's kind of the human gamut of being on a roller coaster where you're excited, you're on it, and it's, this was a huge mistake. And then you get off of it and the adrenaline is pumping through your body and you want to do it again. Oh, for sure. Anyway. Now, the weird thing about this though, all the mine carts that you ride in here are unstoppable. Yeah. They, yeah. they have a constant direct bullet train path to the destination. Absolutely. So it's never about controlling them. Eventually, we'll find switches that will change the directions that they'll go in, uh -huh. allowing new paths to open up. That's fairly normal for a minecart, though. What is the cause to have them never able to stop? They stop at the end very abruptly. Very abruptly, though. Like, right. most, so, so I mean, my understanding of minecarts in a mine shaft is that, like, you move them slowly. You don't, like, cause a lot of problems in the very delicate mine shaft, Chris. Someone hasn't played a lot of Minecraft. I've played a lot of Minecraft. Okay, so you're taking the minecart to get into a fairly dangerous area, right? You're basically collecting resources, and you just want that minecart to take you back to a, you know, prior location once you are filled to the brim with a certain resource. Yeah, but those mine... You're not stopping. You're not stopping every few feet in those. They are subject to physics, Chris. Like, if, if you don't have anything to push them, then they're just going to sit. Okay. So, yeah, sure. You need something <laughs> to push them. But you can assume that there's those little pushers, I guess, here. Pushers. Magnetic pushers, to oh, be okay. scientifically accurate. <laughs> For a second, I thought you were imagining like like a Hot Wheels track where it has like the two wheels that pushes them. For what it's worth, that's almost exactly what I was thinking in my head when I said the word pushers. <laughs> anyway... So there's a room here with four Helmasaur, and you take them out, and suddenly a Minish portal appears in the center of the room. Sure. And Ezlo acknowledges, oh, the portal was hidden away here. What? Oh, he did say that, didn't he? So we have this mine that clearly has some amount of a function right outside of Milari's. Uh-huh. Are the Minish, and I love this idea, I'm so <laughs> passionate about this one thing I'm going to say this whole episode. Okay. Are the Minish coming into this mine, becoming big Minish, a la hurdy-gurdy man oh doing their mining shrinking back down hiding any trace of themselves <laughs> oh that is interesting i mean especially after the place has been vacated by the humans right yeah that lines up i guess so right we don't know how long it's been vacated but you got to imagine it's some amount of time unless you know it could be also that depending on how old this mine is that the miners used to work alongside the minish i mean would they even know it if that was the case but by becoming big, right? So clearly there is a thing to make either Minish large or standard people small. I'm going to assume it's the former. <laughs> by becoming big, they're able to mine more resources. And we determined last episode that if you're big, you have something on you, you shrink, that thing shrinks with you. Ooh, what if it's like also if they happen to find like a very small speck of like a gemstone, then you bring it in. Suddenly you have a big one. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. You get like a tiny little gold nugget. Suddenly you got enough for like several bars. Seems like a get rich quick uh, farming method. IRL farming. That's what I would do. <laughs> Anyway, yeah, I don't have too many other specific rooms here uh, until some of the big ones later on, but there's essentially a series of rooms where you have to shrink into minish form and kind of travel throughout a maze of rooms. Yeah. You're just shifting cart tracks around. The biggest danger when you're small, though, is like potholes. There's these potholes that you can jump into, like to dodge certain like spiked bar traps that'll pass over you. Mm-hmm. Uh, you can safely jump in and out of them. If you're small, though, you fall as if they're a bottomless pit. Oh, I forgot about that. And these are actually the biggest danger to me than anything else in this game when I'm small. Yeah, I guess that makes sense, though. Like, you are falling a further distance, right? Yeah. So your little legs can't take it if you're small. Yeah, exactly. That makes sense. Let's see. 
there's massive lava pits. You want to talk about the massive lava pit rooms? Yeah, no, honestly, like a lot of my recounting of what this dungeon is like is not so much like the individual rooms, but the different dangers and gimmicks that you run into. Mm -hmm. Like one of my favorites here is that uh, you're going to be flying over stretches of lava with Ezlo, which are too long to make ordinarily, but there's going to be like these like steam geysers that you're going to fly over that will let you puff up again and fly further. And that reminds me, Chris, a lot of Donkey Kong Country. A hundred percent, dude. I have that same note. <laughs> There's also like when you enter these lava heavy rooms, there is a cloud of smoke. You know, we often talk about the layer of abstraction between the player and, you know, Link on screen. How sometimes you see clouds when you're in a forest. Oh, yeah, yeah. In those lava rooms, you see the fire creates smoke, which is a nice little effect. That's rad. Yeah. This is a cool game. There's also like small patches of flames on the ground in some of these rooms that you can whack away with your sword. You can also suck them up with a gust jar. That's weird. Why is that weird? Okay. You know why that's weird? <laughs> Let me go back to my thought of the, the sword. It's weird to me that you can smack fire out of existence, but you have to upgrade the sword to break a pot. <laughs> <laughs> it's not so much that you're upgrading the sword for that, though, is you're, you're learning a trick from, uh, you know, Mr. Mind Grabber. It's called like a rock smash or something. You're learning how to break them. It's a skill. But it's you hit the thing. Chris, you've gone out camping before, yes? Yeah. You ever like have to stomp out a flame, stomp out a campfire like you throw dirt on something? It's kind of a similar concept. Sure. But I would say that that it at least requires some amount of bravery, where if I took anything that was heavy, that's almost like the easiest. <laughs> thing in the world to do but okay i digress i'm getting caught up in little details well as far as the gust jar though chris you're depriving it of oxygen so that it goes out i do like that idea that's yeah. that's clever um in these lava rooms there are these platforms that you you know you jump on you've got to get across the lava on these platforms oh they... yeah the la lava platforms that move back and forth over the lava mm -hmm. eventually there are versions of these that are flipped over mm -hmm. and the way we get past them is by using the item that we pick up after the mini boss and i just realized we never really stopped and talked about that item no we didn't <laughs> <laughs> okay, so let's take a break for a second. Let's talk about the mini boss. The mini boss, as Pete mentioned, is a very unexciting eight choo choos. You beat them, you get the treasure chest, and what's in the treasure chest? It's the cane of Pachi, Paisano, Pizzeria. I make such an effort to not do voices. <laughs> And you just go right into stereotypes. My dad is from Italy. I can do it. I know, it's fine. I know. Okay. Anyway. Yeah. Who's Pachi? Pete, who's Pachi? I wish I knew, Chris. I did Googling. I literally put into Google, who's Pachi? And Google was like, I don't know what you're saying to me, dude. I have access to all of the internet and I do not know. Pachi could be a person. It could be the spell that you're using. Oh, okay. Let's talk about the spell for a second. What is this spell? It's a magic staff that you are casting a spell with that flips things. You are now a flip wizard. You're a flip wizard. I love the sound of that. So the text that you specifically see when you pick this up, this mystical rod has the power to flip things over. Use it to charge up energy in holes and then flip up on out of it. Yeah. The people who made this game have a really weird sense of magical and mysticalness. Like the last episode, we had a mystical goddess who said, here's my power and gave you bombs. <laughs> Here, it was like, here's a mystical rod. You can flip stuff now, mostly pots. They'll flip the, upside down. You could do anything. Chris, you want to talk about letting your freak flag fly with this one, Chris? This item is nuts. It's pretty cool, but it's just such a weird ability. It's so, it's unique. You're like, there's nothing like it elsewhere in the franchise. Kind of, yes, but also it's kind of a way for them to jump sometimes. It's kind of just a sometimes jump button. It's, I guess, yeah. I mean, okay, so we should describe what this means, right? Mm -hmm. So ordinarily, when you use the cane Apache, you can aim it at an enemy and flip it up upside down to stun it, right? Or or in the case of the spiked beetle, you can actually make them vulnerable. Just another way to bully enemies. Yeah, we're kind of good at that. But uh, you can also aim it at like pots that you find around the place. I mean, uh, there are going to be points in Hyrule Town where I'm, if you're playing along with us, you've probably noticed that there are pots that look like a normal pot that have an opening and pots that kind of look like they have like a crack at the, at the top instead of a hole. Mm-hmm. I could have said something else, but I'm avoiding it. And uh, that's the side that you want. 
If you flip a normal pot upside down, you'll always find that weird spot underneath where you can jump into it like a tree stump and get small through the pots. That is something that I did not figure out, Chris, for quite some time. Oh, really? It took me a while. I was going to say, what what does it mean? What are the implications of the fact that the pottery around Hyrule Town, most of it is just flipped over Minish teleporters? What does that mean? It could be that... The Minish are retrofitting pots and the the Minish are growing and blending among us. Like now that you pointed it out with the hurdy gurdy man, I am just suspicious <laughs> of like every NPC in this game. They I mean, they also hide helpful stuff in the grass. They want to help us. They want to be us. Whoa, that is a leap. They want to help us and they want to live among us. Okay, okay. For a second I thought you were gonna say like a conspiracy here that like they want to replace us. Maybe. I don't know. <laughs> well, they failed if we look at history. Yeah. But the really crazy thing about the, the Kanapachi is that if you aim it at a hole, not a bottomless pit, but what are these holes that you can hop into? Uh, the ball of magic kind of swirls around the bottom waiting for you for a little bit. And if you jump into that hole, that hole will then launch you out like a cannon so that you can reach higher levels. It's that energy that would have gone into, I guess, flipping the pot. I guess it just expends as just races around. And I'm trying to make sense of it, Chris. Like if you flip a hole, does that become vertical lift? What is that? The words that you said don't actually put together into an, a human sentence. Well, physics and magic don't mix, so I guess that makes sense. <laughs> yeah, I, I don't know. It's just energy. It's just energy expenditure, you know? Energy, but it's like flip energy. It's very specifically a flip spell. It's a it's a gust. It's like a push. Hmm. It's force energy, but not like weird Star Wars force energy. Here's what it is. I figured it out. I figured it out, okay? They took the hole, the space, including the gravity, and flipped it. So when you jump in, you are falling up. I got that. Yeah, that that's a smart idea. But it, it just, it stays there for so long, which is the weird part. But hey, video games. Well, it's not forever, just for a sec. A few seconds. I have to assume it's because like, if you're surrounded by monsters, you can defend yourself, you know, or if you get distracted and some way that you still have a chance to jump in without having to cast it again anyway this seems like a pretty small innocuous thing up front but similar to the gust jar once you start using this thing against enemies like pete said flipping them upside down making them vulnerable oh yeah and also puzzles throughout the rest of the dungeons are now suddenly going to contain things that need to be flipped over a whole lot well like you said at the top there's these platforms that you ride when you find them upside down they're all spiky you can't touch them Mm -hmm. but if you flip them they become a normal lava platform which actually in retrospect i find kind of interesting that like if they are following this set path in the lava you can flip them upside down and that doesn't disturb their path at all no they actually keep exactly the same momentum which great news for you but also doesn't make a lick (laughs) of sense i actually really like this room the room where you're on moving platforms flipping things and moving through the lava that one stuck out to me yeah it's kind of neat yeah uh there are actually these other uh lava platforms that we didn't describe real quick i think it's just in one room where uh, you step on them and then they descend into lava. They crumble. Standard, standard video game trope. But here's the thing that I actually wrote down in my notes that I had forgotten about. You have more time on these things than you probably think. Also, they come back in like four seconds. Oh, yeah. But I mean, if they sink, then chances are you've already sank. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. You're going to take some damage. But yeah, it's really never too difficult. This is a standard second dungeon in Zelda, so... Anyway, are there any other rooms you want to talk about before we got to the boss room? Nothing in particular comes to mind. The only other note that I had is that there are a ton of chests holding kinstones in this place. A lot, and that they're not going to slow down with that anytime soon. But yeah, this is where the first time where you really notice that. I have to assume this is the part of the game where one of my catchphrases came up while playing this game, which was, all that for a kinstone? <laughs> I mean, in Skyward Sword, sometimes you would do a whole puzzle, get a treasure chest at the end, and it would be like a crafting material. Yeah, it doesn't feel great a lot of the time. There are a very limited amount of items in Zelda games that are really exciting to get. And let's be real, they have to make sure you get like 
maybe one or two of them at most in a dungeon. Otherwise, that rush would probably lessen. But why do I get 10,000 kinstones in here then, Chris? <laughs> I don't know. So that you're not banging your head later when a thousand kinstone quests open up. You know what? That's fair. There were a few times where I uh, definitely had to go hunting for a piece that I needed. Oh, I never had to. So I'm grateful for that experience. <sighs> I think I would be much more bitter if I did. Count your blessings. That's all I'm going to say. All right. So we get uh, into the center of this big lava pit room. There is a boss key. We take it. We bring it to the boss door to the north. And we are in like a two floor arena. Uh-huh. You're on the upper floor. There's lava downwards. Yep. There's like a few pots, fairies. Yeah, you know, standard pre-boss pot room. <laughs> Just enough good stuff for you to know that things are about to go down. Well, the funny thing is you actually have to jump down into the lava, which I did not guess at first because I did not see any land down there. I just saw lava. Mm -hmm. So I jump in. I'm like, okay, I guess I'm jumping into lava. At the bottom, you actually do land on some land. It's like a ring of dirt around a lava pool. And it's at this point where emerging from the lava pool, we encounter the dungeon's boss, the infernal reptile, Gleerock. That's what I'm talking about. <laughs> you got what that's, you wanted. That's the good stuff. A proper name and title. Infernal Reptile. That's not even that creative, but I love it. I'm just so happy it's got something. Here's the weird thing, though, Chris. I'm not sure where the title comes from. Why? It's just listed on all the Zelda wikis oh, as the title. Interesting. I don't, I can't find where it is in the game, but all these sites seem to know. I wonder if it's on the uh, figurine. No, it's not. I looked. What I wonder is if all these wikis are actually copying each other and one of them made it up. <laughs> I mean, I get it. I get it. Because look at us. I, I just accepted it as soon as you said it. I'm just happy to say it. I don't know if I believe it or not. It's a great name for it. Anyway, do you want to talk about what this infernal reptile looks like? Yeah, it looks like a giant lava turtle version of Lugia from Pokemon. That's exactly it. I was going to say it looks like the cover Pokemon from one of like the Diamond Pearl games. I forget the name of. Oh, yeah. Yeah, it, it totally does. But it's a uh, lava based enemy. It doesn't fly or anything it just kind of peeks its head out of the lava oh yeah no this is like lava lock ness monster and it's got like a donut shell on its back but like what if the donut was those little table things that they put in the center of the pizza pie to hold the pizza slices together <laughs> the little plastic table the little plastic table that but brown this is a boss i have my note here says this is a boss looking boss oh yeah it's real good this is a good design i mean the last one was just a big choo-choo so i was very happy to see this and i also have i could see this being one of the evil things in the chest being released i mean we know at this point that it's not but this makes sense for that sort of a tone that they were trying to go for mm -hmm. now i i really really quick do want to address the figurine description for glee rock appears in the cave of flames a glee rock with a hard rocky shell found in mount krennel hiding in lava the beast spews fire on everything it sees now chris did you catch my emphasis there a glee oh, oh. a glee rock one singular glee rock what if there are just a lot of these things living on the planet if there are i have never seen them i'm pretty sure well, there's that's no because this is the only lava area that we see true jeez i I guess over by like death mountain there's other ones i don't know i would love this is another thing that hey show me this in a 3d game please i love this design what does karlov know that we don't oh i don't know he writes the descriptions what does he know something must come to him right like he can't know all of this about all of these different things oh he must be like channeling something from the <laughs> goddess <laughs> oh he's making it up like the wikis <laughs> yeah or he's making it up like the wikis he's like uh he's like a right he's like a sci-fi writer Sure, sure. You got to fill in the gaps. Mm -hmm. But yeah, I love the idea of multiple of these things. This is this is a great enemy. Oh, really quick. I don't mm. think we 
actually mentioned, he's a bone lizard. He's like a skeleton turtle with a long neck and a blue underside. Like you just see his neck extending out of the lava and it's uh-huh. like a white skeleton on top and a blue underside to all of it with a I blue I hadn't tongue. considered that that's bone. I thought it was just like white scale. I feel like I see white scale and it, my first thought is bone. Also, he's in lava, right? So what are the chances of any sort of skin or anything? Well, it's like a dragon turtle though oh it's just like a dragon turtle my mistake yeah it's like a dragon turtle i mean what (laughs) is that not enough for you (laughs) anyway uh did you want you want to talk about the mechanics of this guy a little bit yeah i'm just wondering like there's a few different dangers to glee rock when you're in this place first things first it's going to breathe fire on you a lot Mm -hmm. and when it breathes fire it the fire remains on the ground sort of like napalm i guess sure but as we established you can whack it with your sword well yeah but like at certain points it's going to be breathing fire so fast you're not going to have a chance that's true yeah you gotta just kind of keep moving well i mean you already have to keep moving because the way to defeat it is to shoot the canapachi at its back to flip its shell and stun it. Mm-hmm. But like when you're trying to move around at a certain, you know, part of this fight, uh, the fire is going to become an obstacle. You're not going to have a lot of time to get rid of it. Yeah. Yeah. But here's the thing. When you are set aflame, Chris, you run at like three times your speed automatically, mm-hmm. which at first is kind of a hazard. You might run straight into lava. If you can harness this though, Chris. Oh, I see what you're saying. Yeah. yeah. If you could use this to your advantage. Yeah. Yeah. Because later on in the fight, Glearock moves so fast to catch up with you trying to get behind it that you need to move faster. Being on fire could be the trick. That's an interesting point. I kind of don't remember my first fight with this thing. Like if I did that, if I needed to do that. But one thing I did want to talk about. So you mentioned that the way you hurt it is by flipping its shell onto it, stunning it. Yeah. This is a real one-two punch of embarrassing this amazing majestic creature (laughs) because first of all you are using its shell to damage it and then while it's reeling in pain resting its head on the ground you travel across its neck like a bridge and smack its weak point this golden spot yep it's very humbling especially if you consider like you smacking the gem on that shell still hurts glee rock despite you having just previously removed the shell from its body yeah that's some pain. A hundred percent. I mean, the whatever that gem is, that's part of the body, right? That's not part of the shell. Oh, okay. I had assumed that that remained on part of the shell when you flipped it, but I guess I'm wrong. Uh, yeah, I've got to imagine if that if that's the weak point, right? You know what? Yeah, that makes a lot of sense, actually. There we go. <laughs> um... So yeah, it sinks into the lava twice. You basically do kind of the same set of attacks for each of the three phases. Yeah. Well, I mean, there does come this point where it's, uh, when it sinks into the lava, the lava level actually rises, like the tide rises, giving you less room to move. And then rocks start to fall from the ceiling. Like it's a, it is a hazardous zone. It's a cool boss fight. It definitely nails the tone of the boss fight. Like it's not just a one note fight. It's, it's great. And it's also just not too difficult because again it's the second boss well it was kind of a tough boss fight for me personally but i thought it was pretty cool absolutely so yeah anything else about uh glee rock before we keep moving on Mm. i hope we see more of it in the future i would not mind that as well especially again in a 3d game anyway we beat glee rock and we get the fire element we get a little bit of text saying flames bring light to darkness and warmth to all the fire element is the embodiment of that power And this is what I was referring to at the start of the episode, where if you look at the fire element, Pete, and I'm going to send you a Discord picture. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, that looks like the Goron symbol. Why the Goron's not here? Why the Goron's vagrants in this game? We've seen them in the volcano-like areas of Skyward Sword. Uh Uh-huh. Well, here's the thing, Chris. They're moving into Death Mountain, which isn't on the map. Oh, okay. (laughs) So is that... Okay, you know what? I have a feeling we're going to get to maybe a little bit more of this at the tail end of this game, huh? Uh, maybe so. We might see a character that pops back up in the N64 games. And if locations match, then Who are you talking maybe about? there's something there. Who are you talking about? The big Goron? Oh, I don't know about that. <laughs> okay, well, we can cross that bridge <laughs> when we get there. But yeah, no, we talked we talked previously about like how all the different elemental pieces look like their counterparts in Ocarina of Time. Oh, totally. Yeah, we, we knew that coming into this. But just for this one to be also in the area that is typically associated with Goron, I feel like that's a nod. You know what I mean? 
I might be overthinking it. It's probably not worth thinking about any more than we have, but it's just something interesting. Anyway, we we take the element, we head back to Malari. Malari comments, wow, that was fast work, but not so fast that I wasn't able to finish your sword. And he gives us the white sword. It's beautiful white blade sparkles with light. I'm pretty sure that the term white sword is connected to the master sword at some point. The goddess white sword is an item in Skyward Sword. Oh, okay. So Phi becomes the white sword in the previous game. Yeah. Anyway, we're then told once we infuse it with the power of the elements, it will become a sacred blade. If you want to infuse a sword, you must go to the elemental sanctuary, the bridge between the human world and the Minish world. The doorway to the sanctuary opens once every hundred years, and the door is within Hyrule Castle. Our next stop in the next episode of the show. I have a lot of questions about that place, but I can wait. You're better. (laughs) Hey, Pete, last episode, we had a new segment where we talked about our uh, top things, our top spots. Oh, that's right. Yes. I'm going to list for you my three. Your Hello Hyrule travel recommendations. My T-Rex. Yes. <laughs> well, the thing we agreed on is a good name. I don't want that to stick. I really don't. So my top <laughs> photo op is taking a picture on Gleerock's neck when he's down and we use him as a lava bridge. Taking a selfie like it's a modern video game? Yeah. I mean, come on. What better moment? You're on a friggin' lava dinosaur. That would have to be one of those ones where you get like an achievement for it. <laughs> Absolutely. That's a good point. My A-plus attraction would be the minecarts throughout this whole place, right? Oh, I agree on that one. Almost a no-brainer. Super good. And my best bite has got to be these rupee-like likes. What? I think I mentioned it in the last season, but like-likes just look like honeycombs to me. What? Like honeycombs. Really? They Okay. Yeah, like the cereal. Like the cereal. Yeah, like not the not like the cereal, like Honey Nut Cheerios. Wait, what? But kind of like Honey Nut Cheerios. Oh, they just... you mean they look like a stack of Honey Nut Cheerios? Yes. Okay, that makes a lot more sense than what you said at the top. <laughs> I mean, they do kind of look like honeycombs also, but yeah, that shouldn't be as appetizing to human beings. I guess uh, for our very first bonus episode last year, I think I had said that like they look like ambiguous stomach lining, something like that, like tripe. That's fair. If you insist, if you insist that they taste good, then I would go with that. But what's your top photo op? My top photo op. Dang, I don't know. Like, this is not a very pretty dungeon, is it? What about that entrance? Oh, you mean outside? Yeah, that does look really good, doesn't it? Against the, like, uh, especially if you're taking it, like, the contrast against, like, a perfectly blue sky. Yeah, that's a heavy metal album right there. Yeah, that's pretty good. Oh, you know what? Take that picture at night, dog. Yeah, there you go. Where it's just, like, the cinders are glowing? That would look great. That would look great. Do you have any best bites? My best bites, going through the whole, like, I guess, menu of everything we encountered in here, I'm going to say the fire element. Oh. Here's the thing. For me, all of the elements look like candy to me. And for me, the fire element reminds me of these sour candies that my sister bought for me once online. They're kind of like fruit by the foot. They're kind of like these little candy roll-ups, but they're both spicy and sour. Mm. They're a nightmare to eat, and I loved it. They're super good. That does sound pretty good. And I can kind of see that, like just based off the description, having never tasted that candy. Yeah, I I think uh, spicy slash sour candy should be pretty evident for the fire element. There you go. Now we fit a what does it taste like? like in every episode, I guess, huh? Automatically. I don't have to torture you or surprise you anymore. It's built in, but I like this because I can think about it beforehand. You can't catch me off guard if I know it's coming. I'll be sure to, to drop the jingle when we get to the <laughs> to Best Bites. And you know what else we can always expect coming? Postcards. Yeah! Yes! Yes! We got a really cool one! Psyched to talk about the postcards this week because we got a fantastically creative postcard This is a postcard from Ashley, uh, the principal robotics engineer at Lineru Mining Corporation. Yes. Greetings from lush Lineru, the verdant coastline we all know and love. I found the oddest tool the other day, and it contained audio recordings of your fantastic sci-fi story. It also has 
email. So I hope this message finds you. I could scarcely imagine what inspired you to invent a civilization in the sky and remodel the Nehru as a sea of sand dunes, but it is brilliant. Whatever it is, I suspect you share it with my brother-in-law. He's an aspiring fantasy author who sank the entire world under the ocean. His rough drafts also mentioned bird people and Ganon. Maybe you know each other. It's clear that you did your research on the areas described. I can neither confirm nor deny any details of the Lanayru Mining Corporation's technologies or business practices, but even my supervisor agrees that this is an excellent take on what could be in a post-apocalyptic future. NDA, I get it. <laughs> I could almost map the areas you described to real-life locations. Your joint narration of the Hero Link's adventure has made my daily commute between facilities far more bearable. Railcar traffic is dreadful during rush hour, and even made some more mundane chores enjoyable. Delightfully, I listened to your chapter on Lanayru while relaying my flower bed borders. Don't tell anyone, <laughs> but bricks made with a pinch of time shift stone dust are excellent for keeping flower beds blooming year-round. Who knows, maybe if our future adventurer will one day gather ancient flowers from my very own flower bed. Pete, I love this line so much, I'm not even <laughs> done with this letter, and I just want to say, oh my god, these three it's lines. It's so good. It's so it's good. so good. She says, I'm nearing the end of your Skyward Sword installment, but I'm looking forward to the Minish Cap. Yours truly, Ashley, Principal Robotics Engineer at Lanayru Mining Corporation. P.S. Perhaps Stamina Fruit's invigorating properties are airborne? By stepping on a patch, Link breaks the fruit and releases an aerosol that he breathes in. Oh, okay. That makes a lot of sense. So it, it turns into a cloud once it re like touches the air. Yeah, breathe it right in like Vex. That is really interesting. I like that. This is filled with like great little lore tidbits that might This isn't even the whole email. We're just reading like the in-character stuff. She also <laughs> rounded the email out with what she called out-of-character remarks, which were very kind and very sweet, complimentary, you know, things that we're not mm -hmm. going to necessarily read back line for line. I do want to make note she reaffirms Pete's stance that honey on vanilla ice cream can be good in moderation. Yeah. I, I still personally don't believe it. Chris, you can test this out for like less than five bucks. Oh, maybe one day. <laughs> anyway, thank you so much, Ashley, for writing in. I saw this email after like editing for a few hours and it just completely reinvigorated me. It was awesome. Uh, the emails, emails and like review messages do so much. They go a long way. And to write one this lengthy and in character, it just shows some of the people listening are infinitely more creative than even we are. And it's just so <laughs> cool to think that you spend some of your time listening to us. Thank you for doing this. For real. And please, if you feel inspired to write back in during the Minish Cap season at any point, by all means, we'd love to hear from you again. Yeah, if you have a theory on how flipping a hole makes you jump into the air, uh, feel free to shoot us a postcard, either by sending us an email over at HyrulePod at gmail.com, or by dropping us a rating and review over on Apple Podcasts. Absolutely. We read our reviews out on the pod, and we appreciate every postcard we get, so by all means, write on in. And if you want to find us on social media, you can find us on Twitter, Instagram, and Tumblr at Hyrule Pod. Also, you can find Pete at The Edge of My Pete on Twitter, and I am at A Man Named Babs on Twitter. That's going to do it for this episode of Hello Hyrule. Thanks for listening. Next episode, we're stopping by the Elemental Sanctuary. Until next time, I have been Pete. And I've been Chris. And before you say the next <laughs> thing you're going to say, I just, I'm going <laughs> to... I'm going to get into this uh, minecart here and uh, skedaddle at the speed of light. Uh, well, uh, excuse me, podcast. Maybe put a sound effect of a crash. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. Well, it's a very short stop. <laughs>